Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. Are you guys there? Not a one. Okay. Are you there now? Awesome. Okay. Here we go. It's on the screen as well if you need to see it on the screen. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is after the resurrection of Jesus, the closing chapter in the book of Matthew. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. So last week... I share with you all that over the past couple of years, I personally have felt a nudge and a pull within to do a rather in-depth teaching series on the Holy Spirit. Around the same time, the Spirit began stirring within me this urge and desire for more of the things of God for more of the things of the kingdom, for more of the things of the spirit, for more of the tangible presence of God. It is the deepest longing of my soul to see revival. I want revival. I want renewal. I want an outpouring of the presence of God in our time and moment in history. I want it. I'm fighting for it. I'm craving it. I want people changed. That is what drives me. That's what drives my wife. It's the transform here. That's why we've planted. That's why we're in the grind. Because I want you to experience the transforming power and love and goodness and grace and mercy of Jesus of Nazareth. That's why we're here. That's what I want. I was reading Psalm 72 this week. In my own time with the Lord, in the lectionary, Psalm 72 was the first full week of January. And in Psalm 72, verse 19, it says, may you fill the whole earth with your glory. That's my prayer. May you fill the whole earth. May you fill the whole city. May you fill the whole neighborhood. May you fill your heart, our hearts, with your glory. I want people hungry and desperate for renewal. If you're not desperate, I hope that this series will cultivate some desperation and longing and hunger inside of you. Because I want, as we step into this new season of life, I want to be around people who want the same things, not just who enjoy hanging out, not just who believe the same things. I want to be around the people who want and long for, and hunger for the same things. That is my desire. I want a people who are curious of the things of the Spirit. That's a word that the Lord has given me over the last week and a half, curiosity. I want a people who are curious of the Spirit and the active move of God now. Here's the challenge. Simon Ponsonby says, many Christians 
are unaware that a deep end exists. They have become so used to living in the shallows that they think this is the norm. Perhaps this is not all they expected when they were first born into the pond, but they are generally content to paddle until they get to the big pond in the sky. Every now and again, they wonder, so how do I get to this deep end? Many of us find ourselves unaware that the deep end exists. And I want to go there together. I want to explore it together. So we decided to launch this extensive teaching series and emphasis to launch us into 2022 and whatever God has for our community and our church. Now, it coincides with the Epiphany season, or some call it Theophany, the season of Theophany, where we recognize Jesus as the manifestation of the divine creator in the flesh. Christmas emphasizes his humanity, while Epiphany emphasizes his divinity. Jesus is fully God and fully man. In the Eastern Church, Epiphany is marked by the moment of Jesus' baptism, where as we looked at last week, the very Spirit of God comes down on him like a dove and remains on him. You can see that in John 1 and in Luke chapter 3. In fact, in our prayer time this morning, Abby Brady said, this morning is the Sunday where we recognize the baptism of the Lord. And it's right in the middle of the Epiphany season and right in the middle of this teaching series on the Holy Spirit. Epiphany is a season of manifestation, to seize the manifestation. And it is all about the manifestation of God in the flesh. So we are spending time looking at the manifestation of Christ in our lives through the Spirit of God. Jesus is God with us, and the Spirit is God within us. There is the arrival or the advent of both God with and God within. So it seemed to be in alignment with the season to do a teaching on the Spirit the season of epiphany and manifestation. I shared last week as well that my desire for this community and our church is that it be one of both the spirit and the scriptures, liturgy and mystery, teaching and experience, thinking and feeling. I want to be a charismatic and contemplative community. Both and, seeking the presence and seeking to be students of Jesus. Gripping both the mind and the heart. I want the things of the mind and the things of the heart to be gripped. Now, you may have grown up, I mentioned this last week, in a mainline Presbyterian church or United Methodist church or Episcopal church or whatever it may be, Anglican, Catholic, I don't know. But I want you to experience and encounter the tangible presence of God that can be made manifest. You may have grown up in a hyper-Pentecostal environment, but I want you to be rooted in the scriptures and care about sound teaching. I want both of those things. And there are a few hopes that I laid out for this teaching as well, that we be a spirit-led community, a spirit-filled community, and a spirit-empowered community. I want you, I want me, I want us to be spirit-led, spirit-filled, and spirit-empowered as the people of God. So here are the topics that we're going to address and cover in this robust teaching series over the first couple of months of 2022. Today, we're going to look at who the Spirit is. That's the first 
aspect of walking in this in-depth teaching week, and then filled with the Spirit, or the baptism of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, yes, tongues, prophecy, healing, word of knowledge, apostolic leadership, being a teacher, things of that nature, gifts of the Spirit. Both the Ephesians gifts, Romans gifts, and Corinthian gifts, as well as the outpouring of the Spirit, which is a phrase constantly used in the New Testament. That is the trajectory of where we're going in terms of over the next few weeks in this teaching series. So, if you're excited, I'm pumped. If you're terrified, that's okay. <laughs> in week one of last week, I tried to give a high-level view of how God's Spirit manifests itself through the entire narrative of the Scriptures, canonically, looking at the entire Bible. And we made the, the statement that God's presence always dwells in a temple. God's presence always dwells in a temple. Eden is a garden-like temple. Then we see the tent of meeting, and we see the tabernacle, and then we see the temple built by Solomon. And then we see as well Jesus, who is the temple embodied. In John 1 and John chapter 2, we see that Jesus is the temple embodied. And then we are now, as the people of God, the church, we are now that temple, which is seen in 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians chapter 2. We are that temple. We now carry the manifest presence of God. Not the omnipresence that he's just around. No, 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 no. That he's close and tangible within us. Key distinction there. I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's talk to kind of get a rundown of where we actually have come from to start. The Old Testament was an age of visitation. God's Spirit would come on prophets, priests, and kings for a specific work and then retreat. But in the New Testament, in the age of the Spirit, the Spirit is poured out on all people. We see that prophesied in Joel chapter 2, and we see that fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And now we live in an age of habitation. The Spirit just doesn't visit and retreat. The Spirit now abides within the church dwells within us. So today, as I said a second ago, we ask the question, who is the Spirit? Who is this Holy Spirit? I have a couple of theological questions for all of you to see where you're at on the spectrum, okay? How many of you would agree with this statement? God is three in one. How many of you would agree with that statement? You can be like, don't be scared, okay? You're like, I don't know, does he want me to raise my hand or not? Okay, Okay, you, you somewhat agree? All right. How many would not agree with that? God is not three in one. See, that was easier, wasn't it? Uh-huh. How about God is a trinity? Would you agree with this statement? If that's true, raise your hand. Okay. That doctrinal language is not in the scriptures. No. But the reality of that doctrine is... Did you catch that? Statement, that doctrine is not in there. The reality of it is. Okay? Before we even talk about the Spirit, I want to give quick insight into Trinitarian theology. Really brief, okay? There are a lot of really deep books on this stuff that you can get into, but we're going to do a very quick overview as best I can, okay? I'm not a theologian. I'm a pastor, all right? The global and historic and transcultural Christian creeds, teaching, and doctrine state that God is one divine essence with three distinct persons, okay? One essence, three distinct persons. 
all co-equal and co-eternal. Not three gods, not this polytheism, but one God, three persons. Throughout the church, there is an image that is used to describe this. It's referred to as the uh, Trinitarian shield. Okay? And I have it for you guys on the screen. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But the, Holy, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay? Three in one. All right? God also does not operate in modes. All right? The Father is still active and moving. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding on our behalf. The Spirit is active right now among us, okay? There is this dance among the three. It's called the perichoresis, okay? Go look it up. It's pretty neat stuff. This is kind of the idea of Trinitarian theology. Now, you're like, okay, but what about the Scriptures? 2 Corinthians 13, 14 affirms Trinitarian theology. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of this Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6 also affirms this. That there's the same spirit, same Lord, same God. In Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God, seraphim are saying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three holies, one Lord God Almighty. We see the doctrine of the Trinity played out in the scriptures. This is why it's important to do good theology, all right? We even see it in Genesis 1.1, which we read last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you're like, how do we see it there? It's not clear. I'm going to show you. God in the Hebrew is plural. But the Hebrew for created in this verse is a singular verb. God is both singular and plural. One nature, three persons. Plus... It's important to realize that they are all equal. They're all also co-eternal. The Spirit was not created. Jesus was not created. In fact, Jesus is better referred to as the Son of God. Was not created. They've always existed. I'm going to try to give you a modern metaphor that is going to be borderline heresy, but I think it's helpful, okay? So I'm just letting you know. I don't think it does the whole picture, but I think it's helpful. Um, I saw Spider-Man, loved it. Loved it. Okay? There is a moment, and I got Ellis's attention. I see you. Ellis is a big Marvel fan. Okay? In the new Spider-Man movie, we see one ultimate Spider-Man, really, and three representatives. We got Tom Holland, Andrew Garfield, and Tobey Maguire, his old soul. Okay? But there is one Spider-Man. Sorry. <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, you don't care that much. That's all I'm saying. If they all function in the same universe, they're all unique and distinct, but there is one Spider-Man. All right? It's not Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3. In fact, there's a moment in the movie where they're like, Spider-Man, they're all like, look. It's like saying, God, hello. You know? So we kind of see that idea even played out in this new Marvel movie. Now, again, it's borderline heresy, and a bunch of theologians will go, oh, no, 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 no. But I think it's helpful. Okay? It's helpful. Three distinct persons, one essence, and one character. There's one character, Spider-Man, okay? There's one God. There's three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? If you have a problem with that metaphor, we can talk after, <laughs> all right? 
So Matthew 28 also, I think, is the primary affirmation of Trinitarian theology. Matthew 28, like we just read, I'm going to read it again for us, thinking about this idea of Trinitarian theology. Matthew 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority or power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Key statements. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We see here this idea of Trinitarian theology. So the first aspect that we must understand when we ask the question, who is the Spirit, is that the Spirit is God. Okay? The Holy Spirit is God. The phrase Spirit of God is used 25 times throughout the Scriptures. The phrase Spirit of the Lord or Spirit of Jehovah or Yehovah is used 79 times. All right? In the Old Testament specifically. As I mentioned, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was not created. The Spirit has always been. And the Spirit is not subordinate to the Father or the Son, but is equal with. Tom Holland is not subordinate to Tobey Maguire. And Andrew Garfield, well, he might. I'm just kidding. And they're not subordinate. Okay? They're equal with. Now, a couple more theology questions. How many of you would say that the Spirit is an energy or a force? An energy or a force, okay? How many of you say that the Spirit is a person? Okay. Roughly 59% of Christians say that the Spirit is a force. It's an intangible energy. In fact, what inspired George Lucas to use the phrase, may the force be with you in Star Wars, was the phrase seen throughout all of the Bible, the Lord be with you. Fun Star Wars fact. But I believe Lucas got it wrong. The second aspect that must be noted is that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Spirit is not, in essence, in nature, an energy, power, or force that is channeled, but rather a person to know and experience. The Spirit is not an it. It's not an it. I don't think anywhere in the scriptures does it point to it being this force. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the what? The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thomas Oden, who wrote a wonderful systematic theology book called Classic Christianity. It's kind of three volumes in one. He says, one cannot baptize in the name of an abstract quality or an attribute, but only in the name of a living, authorizing person. To baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the conceptual attribute of quote-unquote spirituality would be a curious and inconsistent abuse of language. So the Spirit is a divine person and not merely spirituality as a concept applied to divinity. The Spirit is not a divine vibe or energy. Energy doesn't speak. Energy doesn't feel. Energy doesn't think. Energy doesn't choose. And the Spirit scripturally does all those things. Now, does the Spirit have energy? Yes. Does the Spirit have power? Yes. Does the Spirit have a level of force? Yes. But in nature, it isn't energy and power. God is personal. 
And let's look at all the personal attributes of the Spirit laid out for us in the Scriptures. And these are just a few. The Holy Spirit guides, convicts, teaches, intercedes, knows, calls, commissions, speaks. Again, can be resisted, can be avoided, can get angry, can grieve, and can be lied to. You can't lie to an energy. You can't lie to a force, but you can lie to a person. And energy doesn't teach. A person does. We see here these personal attributes of the Spirit. And there's a lot there you could go deep in depth if you would like to. We see all these personal attributes laid out in the Spirit. Odin goes on to say, These functions imply intelligence, will, feeling, and purpose. All characteristics of personhood which God possesses in incomparable measure. The Christian community confesses its belief not merely about, but in God the Spirit. Belief in is directed to a person. Belief about is directed to ideas or things. And the Spirit is not an idea. The Spirit is a person. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Also, hear me out. The Spirit's personhood cannot be bound by gender. You weirded out yet? Okay, cool. The spirit was not created. Male and female were created. In fact, here's the layout of the original language. Ruach in the Old Testament is a feminine noun. Pneuma in the New Testament for spirit is a neuter noun or neutral noun. And paraclete, which is what is used by John, is a masculine noun. Though Paul in Romans 8 speaks of the Spirit as a mother birthing a child. In fact, one could argue that the Spirit has more biblically ascribed feminine qualities than masculine. We also see Mother Hen references throughout the Scripture, Mother Bear references throughout the Scripture, and Mother Eagle references throughout the Scriptures as metaphors for the personality of the Spirit. But we can't ascribe something created to one that's not been created. The one that's been created can ascribe whatever it wants to the created. It's not bound by gender. Plus, the spirit is a comforter. And let's think about it. Mother's comfort. Let's be honest. My wife comforts our baby girl. I struggle. I struggle to comfort her. But the spirit is a comforter. Now, our natural, our natural language is going to often, if you've already heard me, reference the Spirit as an it. Because it is hard to conceptualize the Spirit in a created manner. It is beyond. Again, see, the Spirit is beyond. It's almost like you have to be so specific when referencing the Spirit. The Spirit cannot be bound by gender. We see different references in different masculine senses, neuter senses, as well as feminine. And one of the main reasons we get a distorted view of the Spirit as a person, I think, is due to the natural metaphors used to describe the activity of the Spirit. The four primary are water, fire, wind, and a dove. These are the, the four primary metaphors that are used to describe, which we will come back to in this teaching series. Metaphors, these metaphors give an indication of how we experience the person of the Spirit. All right? The Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove, okay? And because the Spirit has a name, it means the Spirit is a person, not concept. The Spirit has a name. 
It's not a concept. Because the Spirit is a person means the Spirit interacts. Because the Spirit interacts means the Spirit both initiates and responds. The Spirit communicates with us. And the most important aspect, this is so important for us this morning, the most important aspect of the Spirit being a person and not some new age energy is that the Spirit communicates. The Spirit can be known. The Spirit can be known. It can communicate with us. Jesus, through the Spirit, wants to engage with all of us. Jesus, through the Spirit, wants to communicate with us. The Father wants to communicate with us. But I would imagine most of you in this room would rather meet Jesus in the flesh. How many of you would rather meet Jesus in the flesh? You're like, I want to meet Jesus in the flesh. Be honest. Come on, my hand's up. Like, I want to see that dude. How tall is he? What do he smell like? You know, has he got like Labo cologne on? Probably not. Okay. What do he talk like? What do he sound like? What do he look like? I want to see him in the flesh. But Jesus himself says in John 16, 7, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The spirit with us is better than Jesus in the flesh. Why? Because Jesus says so. And I trust Jesus. I love that this was in the upper room discourse the night before Jesus' crucifixion, so this must have been very important. Must have been very important to share. Christ can only make his home in us by way of the Spirit. Jesus can only dwell in us by way of the Spirit. And Paul addresses this in almost every one of his letters. Next week, we'll get into the identity implications of the Spirit in us next week. So I want you to be kind of preparing for that. But my final plea this morning for all of us is that you must make room and time to dwell in the presence of the Spirit. You must create time to dwell in the personal presence of the Spirit of God in your life. Keep in mind, the Spirit can be resisted. And I think many of us in this room, a handful probably, the Spirit dwells within you, but you have not communed with the Spirit, not once. Or maybe it was a moment, and it hasn't happened since then. The Spirit can be resisted. The Spirit can grieve. The Spirit's feelings can get hurt. The Spirit can get angry. If we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we look at the actual structure of the temple in the Old Testament. I think many of us get comfortable in the outer courts of the temple. We get comfortable in the outer courts of the temple. But my challenge for all of us as a church is go in to the holiest of holies. Go in to the manifest presence of God. But we get comfortable. Or maybe we're scared. Or maybe we feel guilty. But by the blood of Jesus He's provided a way into the holiest of holies. When he releases his spirit, it's as though the spirit is unleashed across the world. Why? Because we see the curtain or the veil ripped in half. And the manifest presence of God is accessible now for all people. But we get comfortable on the outer courts. Ask the spirit to meet with you. 
ask the Spirit to be revealed to you. Ephraim Smith says, every time you send God an invite into your presence, he'll check yes. When was the last time you invited the presence of God to commune with your presence? Every time he'll check yes. And a key verse during this whole teaching series for all of us is James 4, 2. You do not have because you do not ask. Ask the Spirit of God to dwell within you. Get acquainted with the Spirit, friends. Get acquainted with the personal, real, tangible Spirit of God. But you got to make yourself available. You've got to. And I know that your soul longs for transcendent intimacy. Look at the rise of the New Age movement. I hear energy all the time, vibe. Like, what is that? Honestly, you mean attitude? Like, is that what you mean? I'm getting a weird energy. No, 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 the person's got an attitude, okay? That's what it is. We, as the people of God, have access to the spirit of God, which is what we actually long for and crave. I don't need crystals. I can go right into the holiest of holy, and it's way more beautiful. I actually think that one of the most important evangelistic aspects of our modern moment for us as the people of God, especially in the rise of the New Age moment, is we need people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to walk into places where there are demonic spirits and claim territory in Jesus' name. But a lot of us walk in timidity as though the devil is more real than the spirit within us. No, no, no. You need, we need to walk with authority that's been deposited in us. The fullness of Christ has been deposited in all of you. We just don't always access it. We need a charismatic people who walk in the power and the authority of the Spirit, who can say what A.W. Tozer said, I want the presence and nothing else. That's what we need in our moment. Jack Deere says, Christians I talk to believe that the word and prayer are important. And they actually want to meditate and pray, but they just don't. In most cases, this is not due to a moral failure in their lives. Rather, they do not meet with the Lord because of a simple mechanical failure. They fail to schedule time with him. The devil knows that if he can keep you out of God's presence, he will defeat you. I'm going to get the, the band to come up. And each week, we're going to have an intentional time of response. And last week, I offered the response for all of us that we might become aware of the Spirit, just aware of the access that we have to the Spirit of God. We might be aware of the presence beyond just the omnipresence. But today, I want to ask, do you want to know the personal, tangible presence of God by way of the Spirit? And I realize some of you are walking around asleep, and you need your eyes opened. That's why Paul tells a group of Christians, wake up, O sleeper. They already have the spirit indwelled in them. He still says, wake up. Wake up. We have to become aware, but we also have to have a yearning and a longing to know the spirit of God. And to choose time with the spirit. And I also realize that there are some, there are some sins in this room that haven't been confessed, and it's creating a barrier for you, not the Spirit. And there is no shame in Christ Jesus. He says, come to me. 
I also realize some of us have a hardened heart. There's fallow ground that needs to be broken up. I pray that there is a breaking of ground in this room and in this community to receive the things of the Spirit. There is more, friends. There is more.